Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. I invite you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19 this morning. For those of you that are visiting, we've been in a series on prayer and this has been an outpouring of something that the Lord did in my life over this last year. Uh, and it was long overdue. Uh, there's some times where you just ask the Lord to bring you to the end of yourself. And when you're open to that, the Lord will bring you to the end of yourself. And in part of that, it was just uh, making me see kind of in new and fresher ways, um, ways that I was not fully given over to God. And so I started to portion just a little bit of time where I, I stopped the busyness of the day from whether it was pastoring the church or trying to be a good husband to my wife, which is a good thing, or trying to raise my four daughters, and that's a good thing, to making sure that I had the time of quiet that I needed with God. A couple of things that I found that can really choke the, the power out of our prayer life. Uh, one is sin. Sin can do it. Uh, we can be talking to God and still simultaneously wrapped up in sin and scripture gives us a lot of warning about that. You're literally killing the power of prayer. Get your life back in line with God. I needed to hear some of that. Um, but there's another thing that if we're not really careful about it, is equally powerful for killing the potency that we can have in our prayer life, and that's our busyness. And for some of us, we're just too busy. So as we take a look in 1 Kings chapter 19, I, 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 we'll take a look at the life of Elijah here in just a second, but a couple of weeks ago, I gave a challenge to the church, and it was connected to prayer and fasting. So there's something about fasting that seems to open up heaven. And so I gave a challenge, and I threw some things out, and I just said, hey, here's some things that you need to give some serious thought to when it regard to fasting. And that was when I was like, now you're going to get mad at me. Right, uh, But food, maybe some of you take way too much comfort in food. Maybe some of you are on your devices too much. You know, I started throwing some things out. Well, here's the thing. So some of you decided to get honest with me and follow back up with me. And I appreciated that. Uh, that was really good. So I'm gonna give you a report on, for those of you that talked with me without giving names or showing pictures on the screens as to who it was, uh, I'm gonna give you the number one thing that you decided to fast from, from person to person to person, as I was meeting with you, was your devices. That was it. Uh, and this was interesting. I'll share from, from one person because they said it. And when they said it, it just, it made a lot, it like clicked, right? They said, we, I did not realize how hooked on that thing I actually was until I made the choice to say, I'm gonna be fasting from this for a week and I'm gonna be giving myself to other time for a week. And so they did. This was about four days in, by the way, for them. And so we get together. And here's what they said. It was almost like an impulse for me. I had, I had a spare second, I was reaching for my phone. And then I would get busy and I had a spare second, I was reaching for my phone. And he said, I never really put together how much time I was spending when I had any kind of spare time by going to my device and seeing what I could do on social media. And so they were thankful for it because in their follow-up, what they were saying was, they said, but now, instead of going to that all of the time, I found myself in prayer, and I found myself in the word. But the difference, and this is why I was sharing it with you, the difference that it's made is they said it's brought, it's brought a sense of connection to God that I have not had in a long time. And it's brought a peace in my relationship with God that I had long desired. 
Sometimes we just gotta pump the brakes and we gotta portion some time for those things that really are the most important things. And it's only when you stop some things that you go, I actually had a lot more time than I thought. I was just giving it to other stuff. You're gonna find that this is true in what we talk about today. I, I wanna be clear here because I'm not beating up on you. When I talked about fasting, I didn't want you all panicked if I saw you in a restaurant, right? I, I ate, by the way. That day that I did fasting, that wasn't what I fasted from. I went, I went and I had lunch. And to be fair, we all need leisure in our life. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. When God created, he said, enjoy this. Enjoy the food, enjoy your wife, enjoy this. But man, the world is a bad substitute for the worship of the real God. And that's what happens when we start to worship creation rather than the creator of things. We need leisure, nothing to feel bad about there, but to connect with God and to establish a deep line of communication with God, we also need to follow the example of Jesus. And Jesus was very clear about his life. He portioned time for solitude. Let me give you some examples from scripture, just a few. In Mark chapter one, verse 12, at once the spirit sent Jesus out into the desert. He was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. Notice that he went to a place of solitude. You see this in Mark 1:35. very early in the morning when it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a solitary place where he prayed. And by the way, in Mark 1, everyone was looking for Jesus, but after his time in prayer, he told his disciples it was time for them to go on to another village. Everybody's looking for this guy. Let me give you another example. You find this in Luke chapter five, verses 15 and 16. This is despite Jesus's plea that his miracles be kept secret. I don't know how you do that, by the way. Don't walk around and tell everybody about this. What are you talking about? What do you think I'm gonna do? I'm gonna talk about it. Here's what it says, though. It says, the news about him was spreading all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Are you seeing a theme here yet? Are you seeing a theme here yet? Okay, I'm not done, but I just want to see if you're connecting it. Let me give you another example, Luke 6, 12 and 13. Jesus went on a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him. Or how about Matthew 14, 13? When Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. To grief, by the way. In Mark chapter six, verses 31 and 32, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat. Ever been there before? I just went through this whole day, and you know what, gang? I missed lunch. It's basically that. Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. After Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to what? Pray. And when evening came, he was still there alone. And one more example, Mark 14, 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He leaves them here. He goes to a, a, a private place of prayer. I, I, I only hit on some of the things that I found in scripture from the model and example of our Lord Jesus where he says, you need to get to a quiet place. You've got to get to a place where you calm the noise of your busyness and then maybe you can start hearing me again. Friends, I'm throwing this out here to you this morning. We are too distracted. 
And it's not just a matter of sin that is blocking the power of our prayer and keeping the, the gates of heaven from opening up for us. It is our schedules that is doing it. There's this old saying, I have no idea who said it. Have you heard this before? Starve your distractions and feed your focus. Have you ever heard that before? Starve your distractions and feed your focus. Let me give you an example. Years ago, I was in a play and for the part that I was cast in, I had to learn to play the guitar. I didn't know how to play. So I went to a guy named John DeFore uh, so that he could teach me guitar so that I could do my part, right? Uh, now, John was an amazing guy. He had toured, he had been all over the world, uh, taught Casey Musgraves, for those of you that know her and the country music industry, Miranda Lambert taught her. That was a guy that taught me. One of our careers took off. <laughs> now, here was the thing. So I'm sitting there with John, right? And uh, he's like, man, you know, you, you really pick up on this fast. I was like, thanks, man. And here's what he said. He said, if you stick with me, I can make you really good, but you need to remove the distractions from your life. I was like, okay, you need to commit yourself to this. So the next week I was coming in for my lesson and as I walked in, because it was actually in a hotel, in, a, in a, a famous hotel in the small town that I grew up in, and I walk in and there was an antique shop kind of over to the side and as I walk in with my guitar, I look over and there was a really pretty girl over there. And I start to walk to the back. John was standing at the back looking at me like. <laughs> and we get in and we start doing the lesson. Here was what he said. He said, look, I just told you a week ago that I can make you great. But I also told you, don't get distracted. And the reason that he brought it up is because he saw my head swivel when I walked into the, the hotel, right? Well, here was the thing. So I know you're wondering what happened in the story. I ended up dating the girl <laughs> and I got distracted. He wasn't exactly wrong. Uh, but what he was trying to do is to say, he said, if you really focus and fully invest, he said, I can make you great. I am here to tell you today that I'm a mediocre guitarist. That's, that is the whole point of the story, is that I'm a mediocre guitarist. I, I love this quote. Henry Nguyen wrote a book called The Way of the Heart. And he said, our task, and he was talking about the church, he said, our task is the opposite of distraction. Our task is to help people concentrate on the real but often hidden event of God's active presence in their lives. Hence, the question that must guide all organizing activity in a parish, because he was Catholic, is not how to keep people busy, but how to keep them from being so busy that they can no longer hear the voice of God who speaks in silence. And he's 100% right. John, the pastor, John Mark Comer, was meeting with a guy named John Ortberg. Um, Ortberg is a pastor out in California. He's a, a pastor and a writer. And he shared this story about a meeting with Dallas Willard, who's written a lot of books on prayer. Um, he was also a professor of philosophy at Southern California, USC. But behind the scenes, Ortberg shared this. He felt like he was getting, he said, I was getting sucked into the vortex of pastoring a large church. It was literally draining the very life out of him. And so he calls up Dallas Willard and he says, what do I need to do to become the me that I wanna be? And this was the pastor of the church. What do I need to do to become the me that I wanna be? And here's what he said. He said, there's a long silence on the other end of the line which they said was always true with Dallas Willard, a long silence. He said, and then he said this, you must, must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. It has to go. And then here's what Ortberg said. And then I said, okay, what else? <laughs> like, poof, right? Already moved on. Okay, what else? And he said, Willard sat there for a little bit. And he said, there is nothing else. There is nothing else. 
Hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life to us today. Isn't that interesting? And so he repeated it. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John Mark Comer, who was sharing that story, actually wrote a book and called it that, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Here's what John Ortberg, when he actually took Dallas Willard's advice, here's what he went on to say. He said, here's what I found. Hurry and love are incompatible. It won't work. All of my worst moments as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, even as a human being are when I'm in a hurry. And so he went on to say this. He said, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. That's powerful. So I started to wonder this week, how busy are we? Well, I can't necessarily answer that question for you, but... um, there's a, an article in what's called Something Finance, and they said the U.S. is the most overworked developed nation in the world, the United States. Pew ended up doing, they need to rename their group, by the way, Pew. <laughs> but too late, they're long established. Here's what they said. They did a study, and they said parents have a harder time with the speed of life. You think? 75% said that they were too busy and that they were overwhelmed with their schedule. Let let me give you another example. Americans are more likely, let me go to social media. I talked about that before, right? Some some of you fasted from your phones and from social media. Not important calls, but the other stuff. Here's what they found. Americans are more likely to see social media as a way of connecting than having harmful effects. That's the majority of Americans. However, a recent study found that the average iPhone user touches their phone almost 2,700 times in a day. And in fact, the way that they engineered that from the beginning was to get you addicted to it. It's the way they did it. 2,700 times a day. I have a a moment, boom, touching it. How many of you can say, that's not me? We're too distracted. Comer, when he wrote his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he said, there are symptoms of what is called hurry sickness. Let Let me just go through this for a little bit and then you can sit there and you don't have to raise your hand. But ask, is this me? Irritability. You get mad, frustrated, and just annoyed way too easily. Hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email to set you off, or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk and ruin your whole day. Restlessness. When you actually try to slow down and rest, you can't. It's like you don't even know how to anymore workaholism, or just nonstop activity. You just don't know when to stop or worse, can't. Hmm. Emotional numbness. You are so busy, you are so tied up in events that you don't even have the capacity anymore to feel somebody else's pain because you're too busy to feel. Out of order priorities. You feel disconnected from yourself, your identity, and honestly, even God's calling on your own life. How about this one? Lack of care for your body. Is this thing personal yet? <laughs> Lack of care for your body. You don't even have time for the basics. Sometimes it's, you are so busy, you don't even eat. I just wanna throw this out there. Even though I did a talk on fasting, you do have to eat. 
Maybe, maybe your schedule is controlling you. You're, you're not controlling your schedule. Here's some other symptoms. Escapist behaviors. Here's his example. He said, when we're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, when we turn to our distraction of choice, overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at porn, he said, go on and name your personal narcotic because that's what it is, you have a problem. You're not looking life in the face. You're doing everything that you can to escape it. A couple of other examples for you. The slippage of your spiritual disciplines. If you're any, he said, if you're anything like me, when you get over busy, the things that are truly life-giving for your soul, they're the first things to go. He goes, and then what happens is you have a packed schedule and you have a starved soul. Or how about even this, isolation. You feel disconnected from God. You feel disconnected from other people. You even feel disconnected from yourself. Now, again, I'm not gonna ask people to raise their hands, but here's what the studies would show. If I did, most of you would have to raise your hand. That's what the studies would show. Your schedules are owning you, and you're not owning them. And the result is a fragmented soul and a fragmented self. See, we can have full schedules and empty souls, or we can be present in body and absent in spirit. My wife has told me that before. When she's talked with me, physically, I am sitting there. Mentally, I am somewhere completely different. She's not here, and I felt good sharing that with you this morning. <laughs> so, the, so the question became, so why are we so busy? Paul Chappell uh, wrote a thing called The Drift of, of Busyness in Marriage, and, and here's what he said. It might be that we're scared of what we'll find when we're alone with our thoughts. We don't like to be alone with our thoughts or even scared to be alone with God because we might find that there actually isn't much of a relationship with God there. And I think he's right. So this is what we get from 1 Kings 19. A little bit of background while you turn there. Uh, you have God doing an amazing work through a prophet, Elijah. He has confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. That's a pretty amazing moment. He's defeated all of Jezebel's main people. They have been cast down. They have been defeated. They have been killed. This looks like a pretty amazing moment for the life of Elijah. And then he gets this word when, when you read it. Jezebel, I know you're not stunned at this, wasn't happy because it was the defeat of God over all of her people. And sometimes I think, because especially as we look in this, you have this high moment for Elijah, and then in the next moment, you have what could be described as a state of depression. Ever been there before? Here's this huge spiritual high, and then the next breath, boom, and you are crashing, and you go, what is going on? That was what was happening with Elijah, and he was absolutely losing it. Maybe you can connect with that. Right after a victory, a spiritual high, spiritual confusion. But then in 1 Kings 19 too, Jezebel sends this messenger to Elijah that says, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them, meaning her people, by tomorrow. That's not good if you're Elijah because what had just happened to her people? They had been defeated and they had been killed. And Elijah, because here it goes, look at verse three. Elijah became afraid and immediately runs for his life. And when he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness, sat down under a broom tree, and prayed that he might die. And he said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. Ever had that moment before? 
But the story goes on. In verse five, it says, and he laid down and he slept under the broom tree. And I'm telling you this morning, some of you need to find your broom tree. He slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and the angel told him, get up and eat. And then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. Hey, that would be all right. (laughs) So he ate and he drank and he laid down again. And then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up or the journey will be too much for you. So obviously something's ahead for this, this guy. So he got up and he ate and he drank. And then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And he entered a cave there and he spent the night. Here it is. And suddenly the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for me to take my life. Let's make a couple of observations here. Did you notice that our struggles are a lot like his struggles? Our struggles are a lot like his struggles. But in the midst of our struggles, we see that God does some things for this man. The first of which is, is he sends the angel of rest. In other words, he sends a messenger to him to literally take care of his physical needs. And Elijah let it happen. Some of you have a hard time receiving that. Please take a lesson from the life of Elijah, a man who had just done incredible work for the kingdom of God. He needed to go to bed. For some of you, the most spiritual thing that you could probably do tonight is to go to bed. Do it. Let your body recover. Eat good food, not Cheetos. (laughs) Eat something that is good for your body. Did you notice what the angel never said? Hey man, toughen up, get over it. What a weenie, (laughs) he doesn't do that. The angel provided rest and food and he provided a place for him to sleep. I I want you to do this first. Take stock of your personal physical care. Do you need to pray or do you need a nap? Do you need a weekend away with your spouse? Do the two of you need to find a broom push and rest? Do it, take stock because you might have to create some boundaries here. See, saying no to what the kids want to do so that something better can happen, that's all right. Trust me, good parents, you're already pouring into your kids. You gotta get your cup filled up. What kind of boundary do you need for that to happen? That was the first thing that we see. Here's the second thing that you see in this. Did you notice that God actually listened to Elijah? He listened. He he didn't come in and be like, I'm gonna tell you five things you need to do for your life right now, Elijah. He asked him a question. What are you doing here? And then he listened. And Elijah shot pretty straight, didn't he? Gotta love that guy. But the reason I bring this up is his psychological needs were taken care of too. Not just his physical ones. What are you doing here? See, God is giving Elijah the opportunity to express and process everything that he is struggling with. And God is listening. He gives you the same space today. Uh, By the way, you you can see a little bit of a wrong reaction here. He left his servant and he isolated himself. In that moment, that may not have been the best thing. But Henry Cloud tells us something that's really important. He says, you have got to learn to give the voice to the things that you're actually struggling with. He said, because if you look at your brain like a computer, it creates the RAM space so that you can process what's happening to you. You need to talk through it. 
Notice where Elijah went. I'm gonna talk and I'm talking to you. Job, I'm gonna talk and I'm gonna talk to you. And there's nothing wrong with also talking to godly people. Do it. You need the counsel of others. But you see this example from Elijah right here. You need to understand this and please remember this. Our emotions, they aren't thoughts. They are feelings, but they can indicate what's going on inside of you. Listen to them. So what are some ways of getting out? Have a trusted friend. Be honest with God. Get those needs taken care of. But did you notice this? God also gives counsel to him. He doesn't leave him wondering. He takes care of his spiritual needs. If you look at verses 11 to 13, he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that time, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountain, was shattering the cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord, he wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice. It was a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. He went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? All of a sudden, Elijah can hear the voice of God. But he also went to a place where he could hear the voice of God. You have to understand what's happening here. Remember, it said that he went up to Mount Horeb. Do you remember that? And just so you know, Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. So Elijah is withdrawing and going to a place that these people very knew well what it meant because Moses had long before gone up on, on that mountain and he had encountered God. And now you've got this guy walking up the same mountain because it is a place where you can meet with God and revelation can happen. And Elijah's like, I'm going there. He went to a place with the expectation and the space that he could see and hear God again. And he did. And it wasn't in all of the, an earthquake might get your, your eyes and attention, right? It wasn't in that. Instead, he started to hear the voice of God again. Here's, here's something that we need to remember. For all, for all of his struggles, for all of your struggles, God is working even when we don't see what's going on. Even when you don't see what's going on. But he did reveal his plan to Elijah. He didn't leave him wondering. Look at verses 15 to 18. It says, the Lord said to him, go and return by the way that you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, as the prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But here's what he says. I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that is not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I'll leave them. Did you see what just happened here? God is moving a pagan king that Elijah has never heard of to bring judgment on Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel's the one threatening this guy. He's like, don't worry, I've got him. <laughs> I've got him. Not the way you thought was coming, but it's coming. But did you see something else? Remember when he was expressing his frustration with God, he felt totally isolated, didn't he? I am alone. Did you, you remember that? I'm alone. Everybody else has left. I am alone. I've got nobody. And the Lord says, no, because I've got 7,000 Navy SEALs that you didn't know about that are a part of the plan to bring all this about. 
You have never been alone. And you've always had me. You've always had me. So here's the takeaway this morning, my friends. And here's the first. And please hear the heart that's behind it. Because I want you to be experiencing God in ways that you have never experienced God before. Several weeks ago, it was for you to take a serious look into your life and ask you what sin might be in there that is literally blocking the flow of the power of your prayer life with God and to call it what it is. Today, I'm asking you to do something different, which is to take a look at your schedule and ask yourselves, have you just choked God completely out of your life? Because if so, and this is the first takeaway, if you aren't hearing from God, it might be more a matter of your position and distractions than his communication. It isn't that God isn't talking, he speaks through his word. It isn't that God isn't talking, he speaks through his people to you. It isn't that God isn't talking, his Holy Spirit is still alive and active. Maybe you're too busy and distracted to even recognize the voice anymore. That's the first challenge. Elijah, like Jesus, he went to a solitary place. You gotta find a solitary place. And I know what you're doing. You're sitting out there going, man, I've got children. Me too, four. I got four. You can find it. You can find it. And I have. That's first. Here's second. Some of you need to stare down what isn't true in your life. You gotta stare it down. Two times God asked Elijah why he's depressed. Two times. Elijah gets some things right. He gets some things wrong. That's us, right? I've been faithful to you. That was true. Your people rejected you. That was true. They killed your prophets. Uh, that was true. I'm the only one left. Well, hold on. No, that's false. The 7,000 he doesn't know about, and Elisha was waiting in the wings. And if you take a look at it, because remember he says, your time as my prophet is up, it's time for you to go to anoint the next man that's following you up. Do you know how scripture describes Elisha? It describes him as a man with twice the power of Elijah. He's like, I've got this. Thank you for your service. Keep that in mind. Maybe there's something that you need to stare down that you call out that in your life, it just is not true. Call it what it is. But this is how despair makes you feel. The feelings are real. You can't lose, and please remember this, you cannot lose what is in God's control, but you can lose perspective, and perspective really matters. It's hopeless. No, it isn't. My family situation will never work out. You have a God that can break any stronghold in your family's life. You gotta remember that. So what this story shows is that whenever God doesn't do what I think should be done, which we've all had that moment, haven't we? The fact of the matter is, is I really don't have to doubt his goodness. He's already been at work, mainly in ways that I never saw. So that's the second thing. And here's the final thing. You gotta get back to work. You gotta get back to the good work. Remember in verse 15, God tells Elijah to finish the job. Go finish the job. You got a king to a point, you got a prophet to a point, you got a lot of work to do, let's get up and let's go. But he got the clarity in the silence. You've gotta to learn to be comfortable with silence again. And maybe then you'll start hearing the voice of God again through his word, through his people. That's what he did for him. It's what he'll do for us. I... Uh, want you to know this morning, God is good. God is good. And in his grace, he wants you to stop the rat race. That wasn't what he called us to. Let's remember, we gotta make some space for his presence. And maybe like Elijah, you need to find your broom bush and you need to get under it.
and you need to be quiet. Express the things on your heart. Elijah did it, but then be quiet and listen. Maybe God actually wants to say something and not just be talked to. He says, talk with me. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.